had to go in. Um, maybe it was um, something that you'd never done before, maybe like just into the workforce, or, or maybe you're changing positions, or, or maybe it was something that you've done before, but it's a, it's a new company, right? So have you had to do that before? Yes? Nod? Wake up? Okay. Uh, so I, probably most people had a job, you've, you've had to do that, you've, you've gone. What's the first thing that you have to do when you go to a new job? <laughs> okay, because see, I'm going to have to feed you all. The, uh, or, orientation is, is what you do when you go to a new job. You, you have to be told what to expect, what's going on, how you're supposed to do the thing that, that you were hired to do. You have to be taught the way to do the job the way they want you to do the job, right? Because if you switch companies, it's different all the time. So you have to be told what the company expects you to do as you do the job. And so Mark, the, the writer of the, the gospel of Mark, so if you're in the New Testament of the Bible, it's Matthew and then Mark. Mark starts his um, kind of part biography, part uh, memoir of, of his life and time with Jesus. He, he starts it kind of like an uh, orientation day training. And so this is how he, he starts in verse 1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now there's a lot of stuff in the very first verse that, that, that Mark um, shares. And we kind of read it really quickly and we, we kind of gloss over it. But let's just recap from some things that we learned um, way back last year. So Mark says that this is the beginning. This is the starting point. This is like, this is ground zero of the gospel. And the, the gospel is a Hebrew word that, that means good news. So this is the beginning of the good news. And anybody who heard the term gospel would immediately think about their own time period and how the good news was typically when a messenger would come from battle to tell the city or the king or the officials that the battle had been, been won. That was good news, right? And so that would be the first thought that they would have. And so Mark says, this is the beginning, it's the starting point of this, of this good news, this, this good news that equates to the, the battle being won, but it's the good news not of a battle, but of Jesus Christ. And, and if you're new to church, you, you might think that Christ is Jesus' last name, but, that, but it's not. That's not the case. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Um, we, we don't know Jesus' last name, really. They didn't, they didn't do last names back then like we do today. But it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the word Christ, Christos in Greek, it, it, it means um, the anointed one. Or, or in this case, Jesus, the anointed king or God's anointed king. And, and he says it's more than that. It's, it's more than just God's anointed king. This particular king, Jesus, he's the son of God. And so there's a lot of stuff um, going on in this first verse. It's the very start of the good news about this guy named Jesus. And Jesus is God's anointed king, but he's much more than that. He's actually the son of of God. That's a, that's a lot. And, and if you're in orientation day and you're sitting down and you hear this, you're like, whew, 
okay. Um, that's a lot to process. That's a lot to, to kind, of, kind of let soak in. Now, Mark is writing to the Roman Christians. Roman Christians, and his desire is for me to get completely lost in um, what I'm talking about. So, um, right off the bat, we know, we know where the story starts, right? Um, and, and we know what the story is about. This is what Mark is talking about. It's the start, and, and, and it's about Jesus. Mark is inspired by God's Spirit, and he reminds the people that while what they're about to hear in, in the beginning is new, it was also known. So it's, it's kind of weird. This is new information, Mark's like, this is kind of new information, but it's also information that, that we, kind of, we kind of know. And we kind of know about it because the prophet Isaiah spoke about this um, a, a, long, a long time ago. So in, in verse two, he, he says this. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. So, um, so, so we have this, this is the beginning, this is where it all starts, and it's about this guy named Jesus, who's God's anointed king and also the son of God. But this is not new information because this guy Isaiah, he talked about this a long time ago. So Mark is a young guy, he, he's the youngest of all the writers um, that, that we know of anyway in the New Testament, youngest guy. Mark is writing to Roman Christians, which is kind of a new thing, right? Because Christianity began in Israel among the Jewish people. They were the first to hear. But over the, the last 30 years, Mark writes his gospel in about AD 67, so about 37 years after um, Jesus' death and resurrection, Mark is writing the gospel. He's still a, a, a young man. He's toured with Paul. He's, he's been with um, Peter. And, and he really is writing this gospel, this, this part biography, part memoir, to kind of capture the teachings of the apostle Peter who he'd spent so much time with and, and who had just recently died. So when Peter died, Mark took some time, probably in Rome, hanging out with Paul, who was under house arrest there, and he wrote this, um, this letter, this biography, this memoir, to, to kind of remember all of the things that Peter had taught and, and preached, and, and then to share some of what he knew. So he's not writing to, to Israelites, he's not writing to Hebrew people or the Jewish nation, he's writing to Romans who had accepted the message of, of Jesus, who had heard Paul preach or, or other missionaries. And, and Mark does something that, that the other gospel writers um, really don't do. So we, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John. And, and if you've read the, the gospels, you read the Bible, familiar with those four books, you, you know that John is kind of um, in, in a place all his own. Like, like Matthew and Mark and Luke, they kind of start with, uh, you know, Mark starts with uh, this John. We're going to look at it in a minute. And then and Matthew and Luke kind of start with geology, genealogies of Jesus. And, and then John starts his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and, and through him all things were made, and nothing's been made that has been made. 
Like it's complete, it's kind of ethereal, it's like all out there, it's this kind of crazy uh, stuff. And, and so John is kind of in a place all himself. But the other gospel writers, they're, they're, they're writing to, to Jewish people, they're trying to help them understand and see that Jesus is the, the king. He's the one that, 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 that God promised many years ago and talked about through the prophets. Mark writes his gospel to Romans. They don't have the background, the understanding that the Jewish uh, Christians did. And so one of the cool things that Mark does is he takes Hebrew words and he translates them so that the Roman population can understand it. And he he writes his gospel in a a way that is fast-paced to to really keep people's attention. So Mark's gospel is the first gospel that was written. Matthew and um, Luke both quote or pull from the gospel of Mark. They quote him um, in it. And, and Mark's gospel is, is fast-paced, it's, it's pretty easy to understand, and he just kind of lays all this stuff um, out there. And, and that helps us understand why Mark starts his gospel the, the way that he does. Um, because every person of significance in the Roman culture of the day, every person of significance was always announced by a messenger. So um, how many of you have seen uh, Disney's uh, Aladdin, either the cartoon version or the live action version? Okay, a lot of you. Uh, you can come over to my house and watch it if you haven't seen it. Trent, Trent watches, it, watches it all the time. Uh, anyway, if, if you've seen that movie, you, you understand the, the concept. When the fake uh, Prince Ali comes into town, what happens? They announce his presence. And the messenger comes, the genie comes, and he announces, hey, this great guy's coming in, and he's super, and he's, got, he's rich, and he's got all this stuff, and great ideas, and blah, blah, blah. That, that was the Roman understanding of a, of a messenger, and a messenger always preceded somebody of importance. And so no king could come in, in Roman culture without first being announced. And, and so... Mark does this. He says it's written in Isaiah the prophet that there's going to be a messenger who will come and he'll prepare the way. And then he says he'll prepare the way as one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so I want you to keep two things in in mind as we um, go on uh, this morning, as we move forward. First, God is sending a messenger. So I just want you to keep that in in your mind. Just kind of file that away. We're talking about a a messenger. And that messenger's role is to prepare the way, in this case for the the Lord, which which is a term that means master or or king based on verse 1. And so we have a messenger, and that messenger has a role, and his role is to prepare the way of the Lord. And so far, here's um, what we know. Mark is telling us how the story of Jesus the King and God's Son began. And, and, and he's telling us how it began by going back hundreds of years to start the story in a way that his Roman readers, the Roman world, would understand. There is a messenger who was promised to come before the King. 
And his role was to prepare the way for this coming king. And we know who the king is. It's Jesus, who's also the son of God. But we don't yet know who the messenger is. We know there is a messenger. We know that he's supposed to prepare the way, but we don't know who he is until we get to verse 4. So here's the rest of what we're going to look at today. John appeared. There's your messenger. He appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, right? Messenger is going to proclaim things. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, um, preached, proclaiming, this is what a messenger does, after me comes one, uh, comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with, with water, that's what I'm doing, but the one who's to come, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the people didn't really understand the concept of Holy Spirit yet, but they, they knew who was being talked about, that, that there, was a, there was a power, a force from God that was at work in the, in the world that created things and that, and that caused the prophets of old to, to speak. And so they had a rough understanding of, of Holy Spirit. But, but this one who's coming is going to, to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That was a new concept. And in those days, so at the same time, roughly, Jesus came from Nazareth of, of Galilee, And he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. And so there's a lot, there's a lot to to unpack here. So we're just going to kind of go through that and, and break it down. We've got a king. And his name is Jesus, and he's not just a king, he's the son of God. That makes him the biggest, the the best, the most important king ever. And now we have a messenger, and the messenger's name is John. And Mark says that John came baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a a message. And and here's the the, the message, because this is really weird. Because if you read it, you go, what? What really is the message that John's proclaiming? Because there really wasn't a lot there for us to go on. So, so here's what he says. Um, for a long, long time, the Jewish people understood that if their sins were to be forgiven, there needed to be the shed blood of an animal. They had to bring an animal sacrifice to the temple. That animal had to be, had, had to be killed and his blood spilled. Uh, to pay the price or take the place of the sin of the person. And so the, the animal would be given to the priest, the animal would be prepared, uh, the man of the house typically would uh, come and put his hand on the animal, uh, symbolically transferring his sin or the sin of his family onto the animal, and then the animal would be killed. And so for several thousand years, this is how the people understood that sins were forgiven through the shed blood of an animal. And that was the only way 
a person could be forgiven. Not only was that the only way, but that was the way that God prescribed sin to be forgiven through Moses on Mount Sinai. So this is long-standing kind of rule that the people have been um, hanging out, out with. So John here is proclaiming a controversial message. He's baptizing in the wilderness, and he's saying this baptism, it's a, it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. He's saying there's a new way for your sins to be forgiven. And it's not anymore through the shed blood of an animal, but it's through repentance and baptism. So this is revolutionary stuff that Mark is saying. In fact, you wonder why Mark spent a lot of time, or John spent a lot of time in jail. It's because he said things like this. And the Jewish leaders who understood the law uh, better than anybody else, they were very, very unhappy with John and the things that he was, was saying. So John was proclaiming this incredibly controversial message. The, the religious leaders would have said, um, it's, it's sedition. He's, he's um, leading people away. Like, this is not um, good at, at all. But what was happening to the general population? The text says that everyone was coming out to hear John. And, and what have we heard from John so far? Absolutely nothing. John hasn't said a word. We know what John has been doing. He's been baptizing in the wilderness, the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of his sins. But he hasn't said anything yet. And yet Mark says that everyone was coming out to hear him, and they were so convicted by what he said that they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins as a means of repentance. Can, can you like, imagine that for a second? Um, let, let me help you. Let's go get our baptistry, our portable horse trough, and let's bring it in here and fill it up. We'll get it nice, toasty, warm. And then we'll all line up in front of the baptistry to be baptized and we'll all confess all of our sins. You go first. <laughs> that doesn't sound like very much fun to me. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to know that stuff that, you know, goes on in my head. I, I'm not interested in that. And yet these people were so convicted by what John was saying that they were confessing their sin. And so we kind of get the first part of John's message, which really hasn't been a message at, at all, except we understand that, that his message must have been that baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins was a real thing. And so next, he goes on, and he skips this stuff, and he goes on to then talk about John. So, so we know the messenger is John, and he's preparing the way, but we really haven't heard anything about the message. And instead of John getting to the message, John kind of stops and starts out, like the first thing we hear about John is from Mark is what he was wearing, which is kind of odd, right? 
Like, who cares what he was wearing, really? Except that what he was wearing was, was pretty, pretty odd. He, he wore these camel's hair clothes and a, and a leather belt around his way. And he ate some weird um, stuff. I'm really surprised that um, nobody on social media has started the uh, John the Baptizer diet, uh, celebrity diet fad. Uh, it's locusts and wild honey. And, and you can lose up to 7 billion pounds a day. Uh, if you eat that, because gross, who would eat that? Well, I mean, the honey's pretty good, but it was wild honey, which means he had to dig it out, and I don't like to get stung, so I'm not into any of those things. Like, if, if this is what I've got to do to be a messenger, hmm, I don't know. Um, because, I, look, uh, uh, clothing made of, of camel's hair might as well be one of those um, cheap t-shirts that you can get at Walmart that feels like uh, sandpaper when you put it on. You know the ones I'm talking about? Like they're just really rough and you just go, ah, that's just not um, good. Wearing, cam- like if you've ever been, seen a camel or sat on a camel or touched a camel, you, you would not want anything made of camel's hair. This is not um, pleasant. It does not uh, feel good. Um, and so everything about this guy, John, just screams weirdo. I, like, I'm surprised anybody went out and, and listened to him. He, he, he was the guy that everybody else would look at and go, oh, that guy's crazy. Now, don't listen to him because, because look at him. I mean, that, like, that's just weird. Do you know what he eats? I, I mean, this is, um, this is like, like clearly uh, John is not interested in fitting in with the people around him. Because that's just not uh, anything that, that he would do. So, so we're told what John is doing. Mark tells us uh, the messenger, he's preparing the way. And he's baptizing people with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we're told what he looks like. And then finally, in, in, in the next verse, we finally begin to kind of hear a, a little bit of of what actually is going on. John finally speaks, and, and he says this, and he gets like, it's like Mark just jumps into the middle of a sentence. You ever talk to anybody who like speaks in the middle of the sentence, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's the first part. It's weird. And so John just kind of jumps in, and he says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down uh, and, and untie. And so John is saying, look, the king who is coming, he is so great that I'm not worthy to do even the lowliest job of a servant, to to untie uh, his sandals. I said, again, understanding the, the concept, like most of us are not really excited about being around other people's feet. Even though we protect them with shoes and we wear socks and, and you know, maybe you put, put powder in there, whatever, you do some things, you clean your feet at, at night, still, for most people, feet are just eh, kind of gross. I'm just like, keep your shoes on. That's, that's fine. I don't need to see them or touch them or smell them or, or anything. Um, but, but in John's day and in, in Mark's day, they didn't have uh, Nikes and, and things. They had, they had sandals. They were open-toed sandals, leather wrapped around and up their leg to kind of keep them on. And there was some leather on the, on the bottom. And, and so everything that you walked in got all over your, your feet. 
And, and remember that um, at, at least in John's day in Jerusalem where he was, or near Jerusalem where he was baptizing in the Jordan River, uh, they did not have sewers or sanitation. Um, so imagine just for a second what you might find on a person's feet who's walking around in the city or in the country during the day. And, and you can imagine that the job of untying the sandals and washing somebody's feet who came into your house was the job for the lowliest servant who had, who had no power, no rank, no, no position, right? It was, the, it was the youngest, it was the redheaded stepchild, it was their job to, to wash the feet because nobody else wanted to do it. And, and John says, I, I don't even feel worthy to do the nastiest job I can possibly think of when it comes to Jesus. Even his dirtiest part is too holy for me. That's what John is saying. So it's really interesting. Mark says he's talking about the beginning, the start of this good news about this guy um, named Jesus. And all we know about the message so far is that John baptized for repentance and that tons of people were coming to hear him and be baptized by him in in the Jordan River. And and so we we know this, John was a modern day Joel Osteen without the stadium and the suits and the jets and the homes and the wife. (laughs) So he's not Joel Osteen at all. But, But lots of people were coming and listening to him. So here is John who looks ridiculous in, in his getup. Nobody wants to be on his diet. And yet all of these people are coming to listen to him and they're being convicted by what he says and they're being baptized by him in the river. And then he says in the midst of, of that, even with all of this fame and all of these people listening to me, I don't even feel worthy to untie the shoes of the guy who's coming after me. I am nothing compared to the next guy. And and then he tells us why. He says, because I have baptized you with water, but the one who comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's gonna do something that I am unable to do. And he's gonna do that in a way that I am unable um, to do it. So John has just baptized with water, but the one coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism, in a a very just kind of basic sense, only um, cleaned the outside of the body. But the baptism that was going to come by the one John was proclaiming, his baptism was with the Holy Spirit. So people would have understood that the Holy Spirit doesn't work on the outside of a person, it works on the inside of a person. And he's so, so, so John is saying, um, I'm able to help you kind of clean the outside and repentance for your acts of sin that lead to um, for, forgiveness based on your confession. But the one who comes after me, this king who is the son of God, he's gonna be able to clean the inside of you. He's going to be able to reorder the way that you think and act and your motives and your intentions so that you don't even want to sin. 
That's different. That's something John can't do. And while John is out baptizing people for repentance and telling them how great the coming king is and how unworthy he is to even untie his shoes, the king um, shows up. And so in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and he was baptized by John in the, in the Jordan. And then when he came up out of the water, the, the heavens were torn open and the spirit descended on him um, like, like a dove. So let's pause here just for a second. Did Jesus ever sin? No. We're told often and clearly in Scripture that Jesus never sinned. So if Jesus never sinned, did Jesus have anything to repent of? No. No. He didn't have anything to do. So he never sinned. He never had anything to repent of. And if he never had anything to repent of, did he have anything to confess? No. So what kind of baptism was John performing? It was a baptism of repentance that come through confession that brought about the forgiveness of sin. None of those three things had anything to do with Jesus. Nothing to confess, no sin, no need for repentance. And so there was no spiritual reason for Jesus to even be there or to be baptized. And this is maybe why other accounts of this act in Matthew and, and Luke, it may be why they, they, they counted or in their accounts of this event that they said that John tried to flip the script and that when Jesus showed up, John said, um, I am not worthy. I cannot baptize you. You need to baptize me. And that, that's the way that should work. And yet Jesus um, assured John, no, I need to be baptized, he said, to fulfill all righteousness. I need to do this, not because I have to, but because it's what the Father wants me to do. Jesus, the only one ever who didn't need to be baptized, is, is baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, Mark says that that John, and, and then we know from, from the gospel of John, uh, uh, that Jesus and John saw what they described as the heavens being ripped or torn apart. And the Spirit of God coming out of that rip and, and, and coming down to Jesus, and the only way they could describe it was, was like that of, of a dove. And so I think most of us, in fact, if you look at a picture, if there have been lots of pictures painted about this scene, and, and, and what does every one of them have in common? There's a dove in the picture. Mark is not saying that, that the Holy Spirit was a dove. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the Holy Spirit came out of the sky and descended on Jesus, and the only way I can describe it was like a, a dove. And, and so I wonder if like, that's really weird to me. Like, why would they describe it like that? And, and, and I, I think maybe they described it like that because the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus was, was not happening violently um, or in the way a predator bird would come down. You, you think of a, a video or picture of an eagle or a hawk coming down for its prey. That is not the way a dove flies. 
And, and so this was, this was not a, a violent a, attack on, on Jesus. And, and it was not like a, um, a, maybe a cardinal or something, a really flashy bird that was obvious you could be seen. It wasn't loud like a, like a crow kind of announcing to everybody that, that, that I'm, I'm here, pay attention to me. And, and so the only thing they can kind of describe it as is, is, a, is a dove, soft and, and gentle and almost un, unnoticeable, simple and tender and meek and gentle. So that's the picture of the Holy Spirit coming on, on Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is not a bird, but it descended, and the only way they could describe it was, was like th- this bird. And then a voice comes from heaven and says, you're my son, and, and with you I am pleased. Why? Why was his father pleased? I think it was because Jesus did what he didn't have to do because he knew it was the right thing to do. There's a lot of us, I think, in, in life who don't um, do things because we don't have to do things. There's, there's a lot of people who get to a certain point in, in life, maybe it's age or, or maybe it's position or status in your company, and you would go, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, like you, you peons have to do that. I don't have to do that anymore. Jesus did not have to be baptized, but he chose to be baptized because it was the right thing to do. And so John comes as a messenger to prepare the way of, of Jesus. But how does Mark say that he did that? We don't get a lot from the text. John came to prepare the way for Jesus by preparing people for Jesus, preparing people spiritually so that they may be ready to um, receive Jesus physically. They'd be ready spiritually to receive Jesus physically when he, when he arrived. And so, um, look, as messengers of Jesus, our goal is to prepare people for Jesus. And, and how do we do that? Well, um, let's get really simple. Six times in five verses, the word baptism is used by Mark of John. Now, if all we had was the first 11 verses of the gospel of Mark, what would you say a person who was prepared for Jesus to come would need to do? I mean, come on. That's pretty obvious. Six times in five verses, baptized. There's a messenger, and he came to prepare. Baptize, 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 baptize. And then Jesus, the only one who didn't need to be baptized, was, was baptized. I think most people would look at that and go, I, there might be something to this thing of baptism. I, I don't know, but I'm thinking maybe it's important. But it's not just that. It's baptism that comes out of repentance, which the word repentance means to change direction or change your mind. And it comes from confessing. I recognize that I have sinned. I want to turn away from that sin. And I want to follow Jesus. That's the process. Confession, repentance, baptism. And it's pretty straightforward. But, but I think the process also keeps us humble. Because though we can be like Jesus, we can't be like Jesus, right? 
We can be like Jesus in the things that we do, but we cannot be Jesus. It's just, it's, it's not possible. And Mark wants to make sure that we understand that we are not sinless. We sin. We need repentance. We need confession. We need baptism because we can't earn salvation because we're not perfect like Jesus was. And even if we were perfect, what would we do? We'd be baptized like Jesus was, not because we have to, but because it's the right thing to do. So Mark wants to make sure that we get this. John's role as a messenger was about preparing people for Jesus, not preparing Jesus for people. Preparing people for Jesus. And so our role, like John's, is to prepare the way for Jesus by preparing people for Jesus. And like John, we are unworthy of the task because of our own sin. We are unworthy even to untie the sandals of Jesus, let alone be his messenger and prepare the way for his coming. But our situation, unlike John's, is different because John prepared the way for Jesus' first coming. Our role is to prepare the way for Jesus' second coming. And so our role takes on added significance because when Jesus came the first time, it was to save the world from sin. But when Jesus comes again, it will be to separate sin from God's good world. It's important for us to be disciples and messengers of of Jesus because this is it, folks. This is the one time we get. And so our, 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 our question should be, How can I, in my context, my daily life, my interactions and conversations with people, how can I be a messenger for Jesus by preparing others for his second coming? Well, um, first of all, uh, don't try to fit in with the culture. John didn't. Camel's hair, ate crazy food. Um, He did not try to fit in with Jewish or Roman society, right? And, And so... Maybe we need to not be so concerned about fitting in with the rest of the the world. Um, Fitting into the sinful society that exists around us. Instead of adopting society's views of what's right and and wrong, we should hold on to God's view of what's right and and wrong. And so um, let me just give you this really uh, simple test. If there is no difference between the way you act or talk and the way the non-Christians around you act or talk, how will anyone know there is a difference between you at all? How will anybody know that you're a messenger for Jesus, a disciple for the coming king, if you look and sound and act like everybody else how will anybody know if 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 that's the way i function so you don't have to stand out i'm not telling you to go buy those scratchy t-shirts at the store you don't have to stand out but you should stand up for your faith more than your fame 
John was not concerned with all the people who were coming to listen to him. He was concerned with Jesus. He wanted to stand out because he wanted to stand up for something bigger and, and, and greater than himself. And so, so let me close this morning with an event that happened after John baptizes Jesus, and probably not very long after this event that Mark talks about to open up his gospel. Here's what it says in um, the Gospel of John uh, chapter 1. The next day, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he, and he said to those around him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This guy, Jesus, is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me, so higher rank. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, to be a messenger and to prepare the way, I came baptizing with water that he, the king, God's son, might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness and said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I didn't know who he was, but the one who sent me to be a messenger and to baptize and to prepare, he told me. He told me that on, uh, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John didn't know Jesus was the king and God's son until he came. This is the one. Now I know for sure. And John says, I have seen him and I have borne witness that this is the son of God. And the next day following that, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples who heard him say this, they followed Jesus. This is your role and my role as a follower of Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. And that's what being a disciple is all about, helping every person possible find real life in Jesus and then getting out of the way. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day and, and thanks for the opportunity to be back here in, in this place and with these people. And Father, I just pray that you would help us be good messengers of the good news. <laughs> that, that, that even though the king is coming back and, and, and when Jesus comes again, it's going to be to separate sin from the good world that God created. And, and for some, that's a scary thing. But it's also an incredible opportunity because Jesus paved the way and he paid the price and his blood and his sacrifice covers our sins and gives us the opportunity to confess and repent and be baptized and live a new life. And, and, and so God, we don't have to fear the second coming of Jesus. We can look forward to it with excitement. Even though we don't understand it, we know that it's going to be perfect. And so, Father, would you, would you help us um, to stand up for faith, to get out of the way when we see you, you working, but, but like John, 
to be disciples who are messengers, who prepare the way of Jesus by preparing people for Jesus. Help us to do that this year, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Love you, and I'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.